wow, you just kind of never know. You just never know what you're going to get. But have you been noticing, we haven't made a big deal out of the Advent wreath this year, but it has been a bit of a countdown, right? It's it's been a a bit of a waiting. And some of us, as we've been going through the last month or two, some of us have been waiting. Some of you have been counting down, literally. Any of you at home have like one of the little Advent calendars that maybe you you do something every day through the month of December or, or, or through the Advent season specifically? Some of you have been doing those things. Others of you are just saying, look, I'd rather just not think about it at all. Right? There's all kinds of different ways that we approach this Christmas season, but there's so much that's being talked about and so much of the symbolism that we go through has to deal with waiting and has to deal with passing time. Now, honestly, I think if most of us really kind of consider what it is that we're waiting for, I think most of us these days are probably waiting not so much for the birth of Jesus because it's hard to wait for something that's already happened, Right? Jesus has already been born. He's already lived on the earth. He already died and rose from the grave, and he's given us the offer of salvation for our sins, and Jesus sits in heaven now at God's right hand, and he's preparing a place for us. So it is a little bit odd to think about waiting to celebrate his birth, but this is the season that we're in. Probably most of us, if we're honest, we say we're waiting for all the get-togethers, or we're waiting if you're younger or like me, waiting to open some gifts and give them. Or, or we wait for that little trip that we're going to take. Or we wait for there to not be any more school or any more work. Or we wait for the end. There's those things that we wait for. They're not so much just strictly Jesus things. It's kind of all of our Christmas tradition stuff. But here in this time of Advent, we're also really waiting for the return of our Lord Jesus. Because while he has started a good work and while salvation is here and is available, we can see that not everything is right yet. Right? Our world is still a mess. We are still, at times, a mess. Even though we are saved and we believe in him, we deal with pains and struggles. Relationships are hard. Physical health is difficult. Our world around us seems to be spiraling out of control. And so we wait for Jesus to come back and to make things right. We're in this season of waiting. And I think you can get that, right? We can sort of begin to wrap our minds around that theologically. But think about some of the other things that you've been waiting for. Or, or if you really want to get deep and personal, think about the things that people are waiting for for you. It's one of those jokes that we sometimes talk about this with folks who are newly married. Um, Michelle and Cody, you'll have to tell me if this is true yet. Uh, it's never enough for the people who are closest to you that you are where you are. And here's what I mean. When you're a young single person and you're nearing that age where others think that maybe you should have a significant other, single folks, how many people are waiting for you to find your husband or your wife? And do they get off your case once you're married? No, because as soon as you're married, then what question comes up? Well, when when are you going to have a baby? Or or maybe they don't say it that directly, but they say things like, "Um, when are you going to give dad a grandchild? And sometimes that's light and fluffy, and we can kind of laugh it off. Other times it hurts, and we want to say, none of your business, leave me alone. Why can't I just be content where I am? Oh, sorry, that came out really bitter, didn't it? Probably no, uh, probably no history there to unpack. And then as soon as you have one child, what's the next question? Well, you want to have another? I would, be, I would be willing to bet that there are people who have heard within weeks of having a child, are, are you going to have more? Or, or are, 
Are you done? Have you noticed that, that it is difficult for the people around us to be content? As soon as, as soon as you have your children, as soon as you have your brood, well then, what are the questions next? Well, well, are, are they still living at home? When are you going to kick them out? And then, and then even once you do kick them out or, or release them into the world, then, then what questions come up? I mean, how many of you have been asked, hey, when, when are they going to make you a grand, grandpa? When are they going to make you a grandma? There is something about the people around us that it's difficult for them to be content with the life that we're in. And let me just warn you, all of you here, there's a lot of pressure that we put on people that we're not trying to because sometimes we just don't know what to say to the newly married couple. Sometimes we don't realize the, the pressure and the, the foolishness that we're placing upon this person who is trying to come to contentedness with where they are. Sometimes we don't know the pain that's involved with their current situation, so we say these things not knowing how we're putting our foot in our mouth. I've become very careful about how I talk to young people, like, like young teenagers, even teasing about, do you have a boyfriend? Do you have a girlfriend? Because even though that's the kind of stuff that we just sometimes sort of say, do you know what kind of expectation that's putting on these people? It's this expectation that you're not whole yet. You're not complete yet. You're not where you should be yet. And, and I think we need to get better at recognizing where we are and where others are and leaving it be. But there's that pull into the future, right? Are you there yet? I mean, that's the stuff that people put on us. And then we have all of our own things, our own things that we wait for. And, and some of them are as big as, when am I finally going to get that promotion? When am I finally going to get recognized? When am I finally going to get that job or finally get out of school or get that degree? When am I finally going to be able to kick this disease? When am I finally going to be able to get over this fear? When am I finally going to be able to build that relationship or heal from that relationship? I mean, there's all that stuff that we deal with. The big stuff that reminds us that not everything happens when we want it to. And so we wait. And sometimes the waiting can be fun, right? We can, we can set aside the concerns and we can set aside the worries and we can just live the rest of our lives. But sometimes, some of us have been in those places where we've been waiting for something that just consumes us. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you do. We've been in these spots where things don't feel right, right now, where it seems like God is not coming through the way I want him to. The way that would be so good, it, it seems like there is so much that I am still waiting for. And why can't this be? They have it. She got it. He's enjoying it. Why can't this be my reality? And yet we live in this world where we have to wait. Even as we learn to pray to our God who loves us, even as we come into perfect spiritual union with him, there is waiting. God is not our butler. Lord, I think I'd like some hot slippers this morning. And God says, oh, yes, sir. No, no, no. This is not how it works. We can see in Scripture, and we have seen over the past couple weeks, if you've been listening and paying attention, that Jesus Christ has something, even for those folks who struggle. Back in the first week of December, we talked about, we talked about, the song of Mary, Mary who was lowly, who was not a person of high stature, Mary who was a young, single lady. Well, she was betrothed to be married, but still not married. God chose to come to her and announce that she 
would be the mother of the Savior. And so there is, there is God's attention upon those who are lowly. And then we saw the, the angels who were speaking to the shepherds out in the field, making their announcement, singing their song about glory to God in the highest and, and on earth peace on whom his favor rests. And, and these shepherds, they, they had this sense of being losers. They were the dregs of society. And, and God came to them even in their low station. God cares about those who are not the winners. Last week we talked I'm getting my weeks mixed up. It all runs together when you're waiting for Christmas. But we also talked about Zechariah's song. We talked about Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist, and how, how he had to wait and, and how he was struck silent in the time until his child was born. And, and even when God seems to be silent, Jesus shows up. For, for those who can't seem to hear, for those who can't seem to win, for those who can't seem to climb the ladder, Jesus comes. And today, we read about a man named Simeon. It says in Luke 2, 25, there's a man in Jerusalem, name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon in Jerusalem, that's a little bit like saying John at Waterway, right? Is that the Sunday school teaching scientist or, or the beekeeper elder that looks like Santa Claus? No, 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 this John, he, he helps his wife get kids signed into Sunday school. Which John are we talking about? Simeon's like that. It's one of those common names. But here it's specified that there's a Simeon. This man is righteous and devout. And so we know that this Simeon, he's different than the other ones. There's three Simeons listed in the Bible. There's one who was a child of Jacob and Leah. His namesake was, was above one of the 12 tribes of Israel. 2,000 years before Jesus. He's an ancestor of Joseph, Jesus' early father. If you want to read about Simeon in the Old Testament, you can go to Genesis chapter 34 and read a scandalous tale of how he conducted himself. But that's one Simeon. And in Acts 13, there's another Simeon who's mentioned just for a moment. But here, Luke tells us about this presumably old man in the temple. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. It says this man was righteous. Now, to be righteous, this means acceptable to God. This means perfect in his holiness. We often use the word saved. I'm saved. I've been saved. You should get saved. Are you saved? That's just a different way for saying that a person is righteous. According to Moses in Genesis, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. According to Matthew, Joseph, Joseph, the husband of Mary, he was righteous and didn't want to publicly expose Mary, who was now pregnant, and he knew that it wasn't because of him. According to Luke, Jesus was righteous in the words of the centurion who watched him die. And Joseph of Arimathea was righteous. He was looking for the kingdom of God. He didn't agree with the decision to crucify Jesus, but he cared for and buried the body of Jesus carefully. Righteousness is a characteristic of God, and it's only true of humans when we receive it from God. We can't create our own righteousness. We can't create perfection for ourselves. We can't make ourselves look good in God's eyes. Now, all these people I've referenced so far, including Simeon, they lived before Jesus' resurrection from the dead. They received righteousness from God when they believed in God and accepted his promises when they put their faith in him, and when they accepted whatever amount of truth God revealed to them. This is how these people became righteous. 
But now today for us, since the death and resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, we are seen as righteous when we express our faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. You and I, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are created anew. The old is gone, the new is here. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. We are righteous in God's eyes because of what Christ has done. Simeon was righteous in God's eyes because he believed what God said to him and he put his faith in the Lord. But Simeon was not just righteous, he was also, what's the word there? He was devout, devoted to religion and doing all the right things things. Simeon was one of those rare examples of having his mind and his hands, his head and his heart all in the right places. His actions matched his beliefs, hands and heart united. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that Simeon would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The pastor at the Oxford Presbyterian Church just a few miles away is Scott Zabo. Pray for him. He's getting ready to preach here in just a moment. He helped me out a lot with some rich details about this guy, Simeon. Scott is working on a doctorate degree right now based on Candlemas. Candlemas is an old ceremony. It's usually celebrated on February 2nd or 3rd, and it celebrates the bringing of Jesus to the temple that we're going to read about this morning. So Scott's written pages and pages about this. I said, Scott, tell me a couple things that would bless the Waterway congregation about Simeon. And here's one of the first things he said. He said, as we read Luke 2.26, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We often look at that as some kind of blessing from God. You will see the Son. You will see the Savior. But the question has to be asked, is that a blessing? Or is that a cross to bear? Simeon would not see death before he would see the Christ, but once he does see Jesus, he says, Lord, now finally I can die. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself in the story. How long did Simeon wait to see Jesus? We don't know. We don't, was it days, years, decades? There are actually some old legends that say that he may have been given an extra long life and waited for centuries. There's no real biblical example for that, but again, there's some legends talking about that as people have wondered, is it a blessing that you're not going to die until you see this thing, or is that a cross to bear? Any of you, any of you ever been in the spot of waiting for someone to die and another day alive did not seem like a blessing? What do you think Simeon was expecting? Do you think he expected to see a baby? You're going to see the Savior. Or do you think maybe he expected to see a Messiah full-formed? Do you think he ever gave somebody in the temple one of those looks that just makes some people feel weird? Are you the one? Are you the savior I've been waiting for? Your baby, let me look at him. I want to a lot of questions. I look forward to talking to Simeon someday around a campfire in heaven, asking him just what that was like. Did anybody ever just think he was that weird old man at the temple who looked at people funny? Every church has one of those. If you're an old guy wondering who the weird old man is at Waterway, it's probably you. But Simeon, it says in verse 27, Simeon who was told that he wouldn't die until he saw the Savior, Simeon who's been waiting for the consolation of Israel, that is God's comfort upon his people. He came into the spirit, into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that is to officially give him his name and to go through some sacrifices and all kinds of stuff that was required by the Old Testament law. 
When that happened, verse 28, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Now, those of you with a Catholic or maybe an Anglican or an Orthodox background, you may be familiar with the words, the nunc dimittis. It comes from these first few words, Lord, you are dismissing your servant. This is what Simeon says when he picks up the baby. I can die now. What's he been waiting for? Not just to see the child, but there's this picture that he's ready to go to heaven too. But he took the child in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon can die in peace. Was God's promise to him a blessing or a cross to bear? But look what else Simeon says. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation prepared in the presence of all peoples. This is not a secret thing. Here is Jesus out in public. At the time that this happened, he was probably about 30 days old, 31 days old. There's a, all kinds of Old Testament ceremonial stuff that says this, Jesus is about a month old at this point. And so he takes him. He says, I'm ready to die now, Lord, because you've shown me your Savior who is prepared in the presence of all peoples. And then he goes on. You see what it says here in verse 32. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. We know that Simeon's been waiting, what did it say? For the consolation of Israel. And again, tip of the cap to Pastor Scott. But here in Luke 2, Simeon makes the first real reference to a ministry of the Savior to anyone who is not a Jew. This is the first reference here to Gentiles being part of God's plan in the gospel. Up until this point in Luke chapter two, Luke has been going to great length to tell his story about the Messiah within the larger hopes and expectations of Israel. Luke tells about Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah as faithful, expectant Jewish folks who come from a significant lineage. We can see, in fact, in Luke chapter 3, just a chapter after what we're looking at today, that Joseph's lineage goes back through David, through Jacob and Abraham, all the way back to Adam. Luke has established Joseph, good Jewish man. Mary, good Jewish woman. All of these people talked about in Luke 2 and chapter 1, good Jewish folks. There could be no better Jewish pedigrees. Jesus, this child, now being brought to the temple, he is as Jewish as they come. And when Simeon holds the child, he proclaims him to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of God's people Israel. This is world-changing stuff. Now, we don't recognize it here so much because, frankly, most of us in this room are Gentiles. And we're used to hearing that Jesus came and he died for our sins so that when we accept him, we can be saved. We're, we're used to hearing that kind of message. And in fact, in this day and age, we've been used to being hearing that, that Jesus is for everyone who will come to him. So that message has been getting out. But in this time, what have the Jews been looking for? I mean, think about how a Jewish person might have heard Simeon. These are Jewish people who are experiencing Roman occupation. They don't have a land of their own. They are under the power of the Roman Empire, and there's a lot of static there. All the way through the Old Testament, the Jewish folks who have been studying Scripture have heard a lot of words of judgment about all the nations around them, and they've heard about how God is going to comfort and bless his people, Israel. Simeon's song must have been a shockwave for Mary and Joseph and any other Jewish person hearing it. Think about this. Mary and Joseph 
They have, they have heard from angels and they have heard from shepherds who just showed up at the birthplace. And they're going to hear from the Magi who are hailing the child as the king of Israel. Mary and Joseph, they're going to see Herod wanting to kill all the babies, making sure that this competing king of the Jews would be dead. Now they are hearing that Jesus, the Savior, is not just for the Jewish nation, but that indeed his purpose is global in scope. He is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon's message is the first indication in Luke that we are invited into this divine drama and being grafted into the vine. You and I have a chance. Simeon's the first one to talk about it. I don't know if that gets you excited, but I'm worked up. This is good stuff here coming. Did you ever realize that so much is being said in Luke chapter two? I wonder if this, if this whole Gentiles thing is the reason for verse 33. Do you see what it says? His father and mother, Mary and Joseph, remember again, Mary has seen and spoken to an angel. I mean, an angel. Mary heard Elizabeth talk about the baby jumping in her own womb. Zechariah by this time has been struck mute and then he got his speech back. There's a miracle that nobody could refute. A baby was born to Mary even though she was a virgin. Mary and Joseph both know the truth about this. Shepherds came to the baby because of the angel choir. Magi came following a star and now they marvel. Now they're blown away by what Simeon says. Really? Some old man's song at church? Why? Why does the song matter to them? With all the stuff that they've seen already, all the announcements and the angels and the wise men and the shepherds, everything, why does this matter to them? Why do they marvel at what was said about Jesus? They've heard many times before about how this child would be the savior of Israel, but do you think they expected him to be a savior for the Gentiles as well? It's because of this hope that we have hope, church. Simeon's been waiting for this blessing for Israel. Now he proclaims that this blessing is for all of the world. A savior is born. And it says in verse 32 that, or I'm sorry, verse 34, that Simeon blessed them all and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. An old man's blessing can mean a lot, but the warning is powerful too. He talks about the fall and rising of many in Israel. Jesus would become a stumbling block for many. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says that he preaches Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And this is what Simeon's talking about, the fall and the rising of many in Israel. See, Jesus was not the kind of Messiah that most of the Jews wanted. He was meek, and they wanted a warrior, somebody to get these Romans out of here. He died on a Roman cross. They wanted him to overthrow the empire. But Jesus is salvation for all who turn to him. Simeon said that Jesus would be a sign that is opposed. We can see this in Jesus' death on a cross, right? 33 years after he's born, we can hear it. We can hear it even today. People use his name as a swear word. Jesus is a sign that is opposed. And Simeon says to Mary, Mary, a sword is going to pierce through your own soul as well. There are a few of you in the room who know the pain that Mary endured, the pain of losing a child. It's not supposed to happen that way, is it? 
kids are supposed to bury their parents. But have you seen your child murdered on a cross in front of you? That's probably not something that many of us, if any of us, can relate to. Simeon says to Mary, a sword will pierce your soul as well. All of this so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You and I, all the time we wonder what other people are thinking, right? What are they thinking right now? How, how are they hearing me? Am I getting through? Am I listening? Are they getting sleepy? Is it too hot in here? These are the things we always wonder about when we're talking to other people around us. We have to wonder what people are really thinking. Simeon says that Jesus is going to reveal a lot of that. Because when you are confronted with Jesus Christ, you have to make a decision. People are going to have to figure out what they think about him. There's a lot of compromise around Jesus' cross. The, the, the disciples kind of believe, but then they run away. Peter makes big promises, but then he denies him three times. The high priest is trying to protect the temple, so he says, but he is part of killing an innocent man. The cross puts people to a decision. Jesus puts people to a decision. Who is this man? What have you decided, church? These are the words of Simeon as he speaks to Joseph and Mary, as he holds up this child, as he blesses the Lord, as he says, I can die now because I've seen all that I need to see. And before we stop for the day, let me remind you about Anna. She comes in just a verse later. It says there was a prophetess, Anna. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And it says in Luke 2, 28, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to him, speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. We don't get a record of Anna's song the way that we have Simeon's song. But Simeon and Anna, they've been waiting and waiting. Shepherds out in their fields, Jesus is revealed to them, and now they're going and they're telling. And Simeon is singing, and Anna is speaking to all who are waiting for a Savior. All of these witnesses telling the same story. A child is born, a Savior, not just for Israel, but for the world. What will we do with the things that these witnesses have told us as we wait out all of the things that seem to need fixing in our lives, as we wait for our bodies to be fixed, for our relationships to be fixed, for our minds to be straightened out, for things to be revealed that we don't understand as we wait for this world to be brought under the order of Jesus Christ and for sin to be washed away. While we wait for all of that, what are you going to do with what the witnesses have told us that indeed this is a savior and this is good news for all of the people. Some of us, as we wait, we, we can wait just fine because we can feel the blessings of life. Some of us feel like the waiting is a cross to bear. Old movie says, life is pain, princess. Most of us know the peaks and valleys. We know the pain and the joy of the wait. What are you doing with Jesus while you're waiting? I want to wrap up today with uh, some song lyrics. There's an old song um, from the Statler Brothers. I know. It's called When the Yankees Came Home, and it's one of those 1970s country music songs that makes a lot of people roll their eyes at old country music songs. But this is a song I heard a lot when I was a little boy. And I want you to put yourself in the place of a person who's waiting and just listen just a boy in his dreams and a girl in her teens 
and a plan in the front of his mind. He said, someday I'm going to play in the big leagues someday. Stick with me. Just you wait and see in time. Well, she waited a while, but no longer a child. She got tired of chasing a dream. She left him one spring, triple A, second string, went home and married a friend. She learned to cook and learned to stitch while he learned to pitch a little bit better each year. And for the two boys she raised, they were so full of praise for the hero that they held so dear. And they yelled, come and see, mom, here on TV. It's the last and biggest game of the year. The count is full, the score is tied, ninth inning, bottom side. He'll strike him out, just wait and see. They both cheered. And sure enough, there he stood, like he always said he would. He was doing what he always wanted to. That New York team he loved to hate was standing at the plate. And only she knew his dream was coming true. He proudly stood his ground out there on the mound, facing the world all alone. And the family wondered why there were tears in Mama's eyes, because she cried when the Yankees came home. Here's a story in an old, sappy country music song about a young guy chasing his dream and, and his girl who, who could stay with him and chase it, but only for so long. She couldn't wait for it the way that he could, and, and like happened so many times, she said, Bubba, I, I just, I gotta go. And now years later in a new life with children of her own who are cheering for their hero, the ball player, she's touched by what is and by what could have been. See, waiting's a funny thing. Sometimes the waiting is not so bad because we can see what's coming and, and we know things are going to be fine. Other times, the waiting is full of such pain and frustration, and, and, and what we're waiting for is so murky and unknown, and, and, and we give up, and we settle for something that's a little less. Isn't this our reality? I mean, isn't this life for us? Great blessings and great challenges. Deep hurts, but also the offer of deep healing, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. We can identify with the tension that was Simeon and Anna. We too know what it is to wait, to wait for God and to wait for all the little things. The question that we've got to answer is whether we will hold as tightly to the faith and hope that is Jesus, whether we'll hold as tightly as Simeon and Anna did. I want to. My eyes have seen God's salvation, that he has prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory for God's people, Israel. Will you pray with me? Lord, there are so many things we're waiting for. Some people are just waiting for this service to be over. Lord, we wait all the time we wait for big things and little things. Lord, some of us wait so much that we're desensitized to it. We've just gotten used to it. Others of us have been waiting for so long that, that it feels like a sore thumb. Every little thing hurts it. Lord, help us as we wait. Help us to hold on to our hope that is Jesus Christ. 
to wait faithfully for the realization of your promises. And Lord, help us not to make idols out of the things that we'd like to have, but which were never promised. Lord, in this time of waiting, waiting for your return, waiting for a new heaven and a new earth, waiting for the day that there are no more tears or crying or death or pain. Lord, in this time of waiting, would you please come close to us? Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us? And would you just remind us, would you just remind us that we're not the first people to have to wait? And would you remind us that your words are true and that our hope will be real as we wait for Jesus Christ, our returning King? God, help us to love you well and help us to live now, even in the wait. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, who, who not only was born in a manger, not only was lifted up by Simeon at the temple, but who died on a cross and who rose from the grave triumphantly and who ascended into heaven. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who sits as a king on his throne even now. We pray in his name and in his power. Amen.